Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American Story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. a question that came in by email from a listener who is asking about uh, the issue of divorce and and not not really a question about whether divorce is permissible or those sorts of things but this listener says I see a lot of confusion from church to church about how to minister to divorced people in their congregations some churches seem to pretend not to notice while others essentially treat divorced people as second-tier Christians. What can local churches do for those who have come out of or perhaps are in the middle of a divorce? And practically, is there anything that churches shouldn't do? That's a, a really good question. And I'm drawn back to a study that I saw several years ago about the way that churches, it was over a long period of time, about the way that churches speak about divorce from the pulpit. And what they noticed was a trajectory of churches in the early part of the 20th century talking about divorce in almost exclusively moral terms, divorce is wrong, to an increasingly therapeutic talk about divorce as as time went on into the, the late 20th century. Uh, I think there's been something of a, a correction to that. Uh, when I hear a, a sermon about the morality, the immorality of divorce, uh, it's typically going to be from a millennial church planner as opposed to a, a baby boomer, a suburban pastor. There, there are some exceptions, obviously, but but that's typically the pattern. I think that's because you have a millennial generation and then right before that a Gen X uh, generation that lives through the wreckage of divorce, uh, both in their own homes and in the lives of their, their friends. And they just saw that the, the lie that was being given in the 60s and 70s and 80s, that divorce is ultimately not that big of a deal for kids, and divorce can be a vehicle for self-actualization, and the children are better off uh, if you divorce than they are if you're in a home where you're unhappy, uh, those, those sorts of questions. I think there's a reaction to that coming from a younger generation that's lived through a divorce culture. So what should a church do and not do? Here's some things that I think. The first thing is to explain where you as a church are on the question of divorce in its morality, and if you have exceptions to that. I believe that the Bible does give exceptions uh, where divorce is allowable and where remarriage after that divorce is allowable. I think it's in the case of immorality, porneia, uh, sexual immorality, as Jesus, Jesus explains it in the Gospels, 
and in the case of abandonment, as the Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 7. If that person leaves, you, you are not bound. And I would include in abandonment physical uh, or, or sexual or, or some other form of abuse. If it's not safe for someone to be in a home, then that is someone who has been driven from that home. That's someone who has been abandoned. Uh, by an unrepentant uh, spouse. Now, explain when you're talking about, I don't know what, where you come down uh, within your church on those issues. Some churches think it's never morally permissible to remarry after divorce. Some churches think there are, uh, there are more exceptions than the ones that I've talked about. But make that clear to the people in your congregation, but also make it clear that in the Bible, even where there are exceptions, that is the, the last phase. And so, for instance, in the case of immorality, uh, adultery doesn't necessitate a divorce. Unrepentant adultery would. And so, just because someone has had an affair doesn't necessarily mean that that marriage ought to end. Our first step ought to be, let's see if it's possible to reconcile. Let's see if we can bring this erring husband or wife to repentance and, and then through that long process of, of healing that, that marriage. That, that ought to be our first inclination. Obviously, there are going to be some situations where that is not possible and shouldn't be tried. So, in the case, for instance, of an abusive uh, spouse, uh, we're, we're not going to put pressure on, or, or in a case where someone has, uh, for instance, is married to someone who is sexually abusing a child. You, you don't want to put that child in that place of, of jeopardy by being back in that home. So there are going to be some exceptions to that. But I think generally, when you have a marriage that is starting to break down, our first inclination ought to be to try to, to move toward reconciliation, and only where that is not possible, then we move forward with divorce. But in your teaching and preaching ministry, make very clear uh, what it is that your church believes. So talk about the morality and immorality of divorce. And that means preaching against a divorce culture and preaching against divorces that are unbiblical. That's not going to be popular. But here's the thing. If we have consciences that Romans chapter 2 are pointing us toward judgment, then not to talk about those things means that we leave people in captivity to them. We, we leave people with a conscience that is continually nagging them and that they're continually trying to, to silence and justify in ways that, that aren't healthy uh, spiritually for the person and can even be quite perilous and dangerous for the person. So talk about that. Talk about God's judgment when it comes to divorce. Think about what uh, Malachi, for instance, is, is talking about, those who have divorced their, their wives, and talk about what the meaning of marriage is. As Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Speak truthfully about that, but then also speak of God's mercy. Speak of God's grace. I mean, when the, when the person says that he or she is known of churches where people who've been divorced are treated as second-tier Christians. That's a church that doesn't understand the mercy uh, and the forgiveness that comes through God's grace. I mean, we, we, we don't recognize that because we, we don't know that all of us, Romans chapter 3, are people who are lawbreakers before God. None of us, uh, we, we, none of us have a, a brief that we can carry with us to the judgment seat that will exonerate us. The only thing that we have is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
So when we're talking about God's judgment, we also are continually talking about God's mercy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. So we talk about mercy and we talk about grace, we talk about forgiveness. The next stage, I think, is to make sure that the discipline of your congregation is able to operate in the realm of of marriages that are breaking down. And by discipline, I don't just mean excommunication. I mean that formative discipline where you are, through your congregation, taking accountability for the marriages in your congregation. I mean, when the Scripture speaks to marriage, uh, the Scripture is speaking to an entire congregation. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, speaks to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5 and speaks to parents in Ephesians 6 and does that in the reading of a letter that comes to the entire congregation. Why? Because we're to bear one another's burdens. We're to hold one another accountable. And our marriages are the business uh, of our church. And so there are all sorts of ways that that we can do that. I mean, one of those is by making sure in premarital counseling, we're spending a lot of time teaching about what a Christian marriage is and uh, helping people to see potential conflicts that are happening in the future, and then making sure that we have resources for uh, families, for, for couples particularly, to be able to grow in their marriage. I've seen churches that have done this really well with mentoring relationships of older couples who are wise and through a, who have been through a lot, who are mentoring younger couples. In some congregations, that happens when there's a crisis point. You know, you have a, a couple, they're, they're having a crisis, and you assign them to a mentor couple to help them work through those issues. But actually, uh, I think we all need that. And so uh, if you have the, the resources within your congregation to pair people up in those formative years of marriage with, with godly, wise, older couples, I think that would go a long way in shaping and forming people uh, ahead of a crisis, before they get to that point where there's a, a, a divorce uh, situation that is happening. I think also in terms of preaching and teaching about what to do when you when you see that your marriage is starting to get into trouble. So that you, you kind of take the stigma away from someone to come up and say, I'm having trouble in my marriage. Because I think there are a lot of people who think, if I say we're having some trouble, I feel like other people are going to say, you're not a very good Christian, or what's wrong with you spiritually? We, we've got to get rid of that and enable people to say, I really need some help from the rest of the congregation. And then uh, I think that other part of discipline, when you do have situations where you have someone who is being wronged, the, the rest of the congregation steps in. When you have that spouse who is uh, abandoning uh, another spouse, to have the congregation to come in and to speak, Matthew 18, move through that process and say, brother, don't do this. Sister, don't do this. Realize what you're doing to your family. And, and to work to try to hold the erring partner accountable and also to, 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 to bring about reconciliation, where again, where possible, uh, within that couple. I think that is an important part of the discipline of the church that we have, we have just almost completely ceded to the outside world, to divorce lawyers and to therapists and, and to others. And I'm not saying that all of those pieces aren't, aren't good and necessary, 
but the church often is silent and absent, and when we ought to be a place of support and a place of, of healing and, and refuge there. And then the last stage, I would say, is give people a space for confession and, where possible, restitution and reconciliation. I, I've known of, I, I know of a church that when a person who is divorced comes to that congregation and applies for membership, one of the things that the, the church leaders do is to say, okay, what, what went on with the divorce? Tell us about what happened with the divorce. And in some cases, the church would say, well, this is a situation where you're the innocent party or you're, you were the guilty party, but you've come to repentance uh, for that. But in some circumstances, this church would see this is a couple that actually needs to talk to one another. And this divorce came about because of reasons that that ought to be addressed with some support from from others. And they've actually seen marriages come come back together and couples be remarried and couples heal and and move forward. That's a beautiful story. It's not always going to happen. But the, the church is making an attempt to do that. Sometimes, of course, there is no reconciliation that is possible, either because there's an unrepentant spouse or because one or both of those partners have, have married now other people. Well, we still need to have a place where people can come and, and confess their wrongdoing if they have done wrong or, or even uh, confess the, the ongoing burden they're bearing as a result of this divorce in order to hand it over and to see this as being something that is past. That, that's just one of those things that all of us need, regardless of what, regardless of what uh, our particular situation is, that, that ability to say to someone, this is where I've sinned against God and against others, and to hear from another human voice the, the word that has been given in the gospel, in the scripture, remember who you are in Christ, that you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Our, our churches need that. How you do that is going to differ from church to church. Some churches have a time of invitation where uh, people are able to come forward and pray with one another. If your church does that, it might be a good idea to say some of you are, are having a difficult time because of uh, a divorce in your past. And uh, maybe you've been sinned against, and you're, you're having trouble handing that over to God. Or maybe you were the guilty one, and you have a conscience that is continually accusing you. Well, we invite you uh, to come and pray with one another, to come and, and, and lay that before God. I think that's a good uh, thing to do. Or maybe in your church, the way you do it is through particular small groups or particular classes, Tailor that and contextualize that to your church, but I think it's something that's, that's good and necessary. And when we do that, when we're clear about what the Bible teaches about divorce, when we discipline, we're involved in the lives of, of people's marriages, and we hold one another accountable in terms of our marriages, and when we emphasize the mercy of Jesus Christ when it comes to all of the ways that we've gone astray, including divorce and remarriage. Then we can have a congregation where we don't view uh, people who have sinned in in a way that we haven't as second-tier Christians or second-class Christians. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts.